Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Research increasingly shows that the balance and diversity of our gut bacteria is key to everything from getting a good night's sleep to maintaining a healthy weight and even keeping colds at bay. In fact, more than 60% of our immune system is found in our gut, demonstrating just how important it is to optimize levels of good gut bacteria. Bimuno is a high-fiber food supplement that balances your gut bacteria, feeding and stimulating it to encourage its numbers to increase. You can think of it like a fertilizer helping the garden that is your gut to flourish. Bimuno is a taste-free powder that fits into your daily routine. Simply add a sachet to any drink, stir, and start feeding your good gut bacteria. Visit bimuno.com and enter the code RETRITION at the checkout to get 10% off. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. High blood pressure affects over 25% of UK adults, and heart disease is the biggest killer in the world. There are also around 50 million people suffering with dementia worldwide, and it's one of the major causes of disability and dependency in older people. Now, we know that there's no one way of eating that's going to suit everyone, but we do know the Mediterranean diet is the most researched, which is good news given it's so delicious. Here to tell us all about the benefits of enjoying a Mediterranean diet is Professor Anne-Marie Minihane, Professor of Nutrigenetics at Norwich Medical School. Hello, Anne-Marie. Good to be here. Oh, I can't thank you enough. So for everyone listening, I saw Anne-Marie give a wonderful talk. Would it be about a month and a half ago now, two months? Something like that. Yeah, Yeah. and I just had to get her on a podcast. Mm. And I think there is no one... (sighs) diet out there that's that's the best but we know that the Mediterranean diet is one of the most researched diets so what do the 18 countries that border the Mediterranean Amory what do they all have in common because it's not as simple as just fresh foods is it I mean, absolutely not. I mean, the first thing to say is the Mediterranean diet just doesn't focus on one particular food. It's very much a composite effort. And Mm -hmm. I think that's its huge strength. And that's why it's so effective. 
I mean, I guess the thing which defines a Mediterranean diet, if you were to pick one thing, it's the fact that it's very plant-based. Mm. So it's high in fruits and vegetables, it's high in legumes, high in nuts, high in whole grains. So I think that is the one defining feature, regardless of what country in the Mediterranean you go to. Yes, yes. And I've done a lot of research. And obviously, oily fish is another thing, I think. And is it quite similar to the government's Eat Well guide? It is. I mean, it's probably... I mean, I guess the big difference is it it, it it kind of focuses more on things like legumes and nuts, which mm. there isn't a big focus on that in this country. Even though it's mentioned, it's it's not a big focus. Yeah. Um, the other big difference, I think, is in Mediterranean countries, the suggestion is that red meat is only consumed perhaps once a week at most. Oh. Um, and that oily fish is consumed perhaps two to four times a week. So I think the sort of the balance between red meat and and fish is more in favour of fish in Mediterranean countries. Which I think we know is probably going to be a more beneficial um, choice if we were to adapt more of that lifestyle over here. Absolutely. Considering we know we're getting too much processed food in this country as it is really. And when I say processed, I mean highly processed or some people may refer to this as ultra processed foods. That's right. Yeah. There's a bit of a debate out there because technically lots of things, I guess, are processed. If you think of a can of chickpeas, that's been processed to be that's put right. in a can. But what we're discussing here are the items like ready meals, um, things very high in salt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think anything ready meals, they often tend to be quite high in uh, refined carbohydrate, mm. which is a big, very topical at the moment. Mm. And they tend to be quite high in salt. Yeah. And palm oil seems to creep in all over the place in processed foods. Yes, it does. It does. I mean, so... In terms of what exact characteristics of the Mediterranean diet differ from Mm. those that are eaten in other countries, what Mm. are they? Because there's also other diets that are popular that I've heard of, Mm. like the Nordic diet. That's right, yeah. I mean, the other, I I guess another important defining feature of a Mediterranean diet is olive oil tends to be the culinary fat. Mm. Um, And when we look, and even on things like bread and salads, you know, it, it tends to be olive oil used across the board um, whereas in this country we still tend to use animal fats to a much mm. higher degree than they do in Mediterranean countries I mean there's nothing better than olive oil and a That's dipped right. bit of bread and olive oil at the dinner table absolutely <laughs> Ab- absolutely uh, and it, it is just very much part of a meal in, in Mediterranean countries and we haven't I mean I think we're getting much better here and olive oil is more affordable and uh, you know it's much more part of meals when we're eating out so I think we have made it big inroads. But I think still the, the the balance of fats is quite different in Mediterranean countries than it is in Northern Europe. So when we're talking about fats, yeah. could you explain to our listeners what the different types of fats are and, and how they differ from, let's say, unsaturated or the healthier yeah. fats? Yeah. Well, you know, I could because I've spent 20 years working on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's my favourite topic. Yes. So when we talk about fats, we always think about cholesterol, but actually about 90 to 95% of the fats in our diet are in tr- the form of triglycerides which is a a very simple name for a compound, which is a glycerol with three fatty acids attached. Mm. And those fatty acids define whether a fat is solid at room temperature or whether it's liquid in room temperature. Mm. And if you look at foods, there's about 20 to 22 fatty acids and they can be saturated, monounsaturated or polyunsaturated. And saturated fats, their chemical structure has no double bonds. 
and they tend to be found predominantly in animal fats mm. and they tend to be solid at room temperature. Mm. Monounsaturated fats, mono, have one double bond and polyunsaturated fats have two or more double bonds. So good to remember, mono meaning one, one that's <laughs> poly right, many. Many. And then you have omega-6 and omega-3 and that just refers to the position of the first double bond. So mm-hmm. omega-3 fatty acids of the first double bond are carbon-3 and omega-6 of the first double bond are carbon-6. Mm. And and the position of the of the first double bond seems to contribute to the health attributes of that particular so fatty acid. So with examples for people that obviously don't know much about double sure. bonds and, yeah. and the science behind mm. the structure, mm. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said solid at room temperature yeah. and kind of liquid. So if we're looking at, let's say, butter That's right. compared to olive oil. So olive oil is more liquidy form because it's a monounsaturated yeah. fatty acids. It's got one. That's right. Whereas the butter is completely saturated. That's right. So, so yeah, monounsaturated fats are the main type of fatty acid you find in olive oil. Mm. Whereas if you go for more traditional vegetable oils, such as corn oil or safflower oil or soybean oil, rapeseed oil, they tend to be more enriched in the omega-6 fatty acids. Okay, so for people listening, what is the difference between the omega-3 and the omega-6? Yeah. So, it, I mean, the, the main defining pe- feature is that position of the first double bond. Mm. Um, when it comes to health attributes, it tends to be, they, they tend to behave slightly differently, and in particular, the long chain omega-3. So there's a lot of confusion at the moment about omega-3, and a lot of products claim to be enriched in omega-3. Yeah, even eggs, I see a lot of it everywhere. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And, and actually, when we talk about all the evidence for the cardiovascular benefits tends to be more towards the longer chain omega-3 which you find in predominantly in marine foods so in in fish and and particularly oily fish yes like salmon yeah Mm. the shorter chain omega-3 alpha linolenic acid you find it in the diet and things like nuts and specific oils like rapeseed oil or soybean Mm. oil uh, or flaxseed oil and as humans, we have some capacity to convert the shorter chain into the longer chain one, but it tends to be quite limited, our capacity mm. to do that. So actually, the best way to get the beneficial long chain omega-3 is actually to consume them if you have oily fish in your diet. But mm. of course, for vegans or vegetarians, that's not an option. Well, no, and that's a very interesting one. I'm really glad you've raised that point because I think if you have a plant-based diet, remember, first of all, plant-based doesn't mean vegan. It just means reducing your consumption of animal products, whereas a vegan diet is complete elimination. That's right. But for people listening, um, if you are a vegetarian or vegan, there are, I think it's algae supplements. That's right, there are. So it, it's basically, yeah, they're, they're, they're made from algae. Algae have the, the enzymatic capacity to make these things. Mm. Um, they tend to be on the expensive side. You'll find. Oh, yes. All supplements <laughs> are a very expensive yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and the ve- the vegan source of DHA, which is one of the main o- long chain mm. omega-3, is, is, is quite expensive. But I I, th- I think worth investing in, for no, sure. No, completely. Especially if it helps your heart health. Um, mm. And I don't think enough people in this country are actually reaching their targets of oily fish anyway. They're not. Absolutely not. So the recommendation are that we consume about 500 milligrams or half a gram of EPA DHA per day. Mm. 
the average intake in the UK is about half of that, but yes. it's very skewed. Um, so most people actually consume less than 100 milligrams. Wow. And then there's a small proportion who do meet the target. But if you're a non-oily fish consumer, it's extremely difficult to get anywhere near the target of half a gram of EPA, DHA oh, per day. Gosh, I'll, I'll never forget. So one of my first lectures at university mm. a while ago, um, I don't know if you know Professor Simon Dial. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. he was my lecturer and he's yeah. a big fan as well of Omega-3s. Yeah. And it was his words that instilled in me mm. to get my whole family mm. to start upping their oily fish consumption. Right. And yeah. if, if you don't eat oily fish again, you can supplement. Yeah. Could we, before we go on to why we need fats, just touch on trans fats? Yeah. What they are and yeah. why we shouldn't be having very, well, a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, we're quite fortunate in this country now and that they're almost eliminated from the mm. diet, but not so in other parts of the world, which still rely on quite cheap, poor quality fats. Um, so trans fats are polyunsaturated fats. Um there's natural trans, which you find in things like dairy products, which are fine for us. That's not a concern. It's the artificial trans, which are problematic. Uh, and they're introduced when you're trying to make a very liquid fat into something slightly more solid or sort of alter its physiochemical properties. Mm. Often it's 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 artificially treated. And, and that seems that process changes the orientation of the double bonds. Mm. into a form which completely changes the structure. So normally it's in a cis form. A trans form is an artificial form and it, it just changes the health property of the fatty acid. Right, and you used to find those, because luckily, like you said, we don't have them much in the mm. UK now, so I don't mm. want to worry anyone listening, mm. but I think it used to be in some very um, poor quality ready meals, perhaps, right. um, back That's in the day. Absolutely, yeah. So luckily now, I mean, the recommendation is it's two, less than 2% of dietary mm. energy. It's now well below 1% in the UK. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're doing fine with respect to trans, which is, which is a great... We often focus on the inconsistencies in nutrition, but actually that has been a tremendous success story, I think. That's wonderful. I love a bit of positive news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about bringing a bit of positivity. I think most people know now that yeah. saturated fat, no more than 11% of your daily intake. But why do we need fats, Anne-Marie? Why, why? Yeah. I mean, fats are a core component of our cell membranes. Mm. So, you know, for, for structural purposes, we need fats. A great source of energy, of course. Too much of them are problematic when it comes to energy, but mm. they contain nine calories per gram as opposed to four calories per gram for carbohydrate and four calories per gram for protein. And yeah. some people forget, of course, that alcohol has has plenty of calories. Isn't it seven per gram alcohol? Absolutely. Yes. People conveniently <laughs> forget that little element. Um, so it's a great source of energy. Mm. And actually, uh, fats, particular polyunsaturated fats, can get uh, metabolized on to a whole host of compounds which are involved in cell signaling, mm. which are involved in inflammation, but in a good way, anti-inflammatory oftentimes. Wow. And I also, um, so I work a lot in my clinic with, mm. um, we've got different various clinicians in there, but we get a few eating disorder cases in. Yeah, sure. And I'm always trying to say fats are the building blocks of your hormones pretty much. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, particularly cholesterol. Mm. So cholesterol is, is very much the building blocks of, of um, our sex hormones, for example. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, another, another very important uh, attribute of fat is it's involved in absorption of fat-soluble vitamins. Of course. So things like vitamin D and vitamin E mm. very much occur in the diet in, in, in the fat pool and they're absorbed along with fat. 
that's one of those key things that if anybody went goes to nutrition university, you'll mm. have A, D, E, and K in your head. Um, that's right, absolutely. <laughs> it will always be yeah. there, like the alphabet. Yeah. And what about brain function? Yeah. I mean, with respect to brain function, it's quite interesting. We started off talking about omega-3 fatty acids Mm. and the brain is very enriched in the omega-3 fatty acid DHA. Mm. So if you took took a bit of, if you were so inclined to take a bit of liver or take a bit of kidney or take a bit of heart tissue, it's got about two to three percent DHA, whereas brain tissue has got 15 percent DHA in its lipid pool. And when you look at the area called the synapses where neurons interact, with each other, the end of neurons, the lipids in that area of the neurons is can be up to 40% DHA. Mm. So DHA, the brain is particularly enriched in DHA, which oh, yeah. kind of gives you a hint that 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 omega-3s must be really important for brain health. It's fascinating. You mentioned the um, synapses there as well. And for mm. people listening, that's kind of where all the signals in your brain are like getting sent from one area to another. That's right. Absolutely. So it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, that's right. So so our neurons don't actually touch each other physically oftentimes. No. They just send signals across the gap. Uh, and that area at the end of neurons called synaptics. Our synapses is is really important. So how exactly does the Mediterranean diet, you mentioned, um, was it, did you say 3% in the heart tissue or? Absolutely, of DHA, that's right. How does it positively impact heart health then, um, Mm. the Mediterranean diet on a whole? Yeah, I mean, there's pro- there's probably a whole host of mechanisms. Um, we published a paper in a journal called Hypertension recently where we took, um, well, there was about 1,300 people began and 1,100 people finished a one-year trial, which was done in five European centres, one of which was in Norwich, ah. where we put people on a Mediterranean diet for a year. Uh, and we found huge reductions in people's blood pressure Uh Equivalent to what you would get when you put people on antihypertensive medications. It's incredible. Uh, we also found that the reactivity of people's arteries improved, so they were less stiff. Um, a Mediterranean diet also seems mm. to be anti-inflammatory, mm. antioxidant, and is also associated with a much better lipid profile. So a reduction in LDL cholesterol, a reduction in triglyceride, an increase in your HDL cholesterol. So an increase in the good cholesterol, people know, and a decrease in the bad, bad cholesterol. cholesterol. Yeah. All from having more Mediterranean-based Mediterranean diet. diet. So that I think there's so many elements to a Mediterranean diet, a good lipid profile, it's full of antioxidants, it's full of flavonoids, which we're now beginning to learn quite a bit about. So when I hear um, flavonoids or flavonoids, as some people say, I think of chocolate and red wine. That's, Is that well, <laughs> they are so. <laughs> sources. <laughs> they're, 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 the, yeah. they're the nicest, most palatable sources for I, I sure. I think so, definitely. Right. So is this a diet known as the DASH diet? Yeah. I mean, the DASH diet is slightly different. That was a diet specifically designed to lo- lower blood pressure, as you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, a dietary approaches for blood pressure reduction. Um, so, I mean, a lot of these diets, like the Nordic diet, the Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, they, mm. they all have many elements of commonality. Uh, I guess one of the main differences, the DASH diet also very much encourages lots of plants, uh, lots of whole grains. I guess the main difference between a DASH diet and a Mediterranean diet is the DASH diet very much encourages a relatively high intake of protein, but Mm. but from low fat sources. So it Mm. very much encourages consumption of low-fat dairy products, the consumption of meat, but of the lean meat variety. 
So the, the dashes, I think, is more focused on on protein as an element, which the Mediterranean mm. diet tends to be more generic in, in, in its recommendations. And what about salt? Because we know that 33% of adults are currently above the recommended amount yeah. still. Yeah, I mean, that in, in Mediterranean countries, you, you you will never get salt on the table. So salt is oh. simply not used regularly in Mediterranean countries. It tends to rely on herbs and spices for flavours. That's brilliant. Um, and the DASH diet very much recommends that I think it's less than 2.3 grams per day. Mm. Uh, so for sure, we have way too much salt in this country. Yeah. Um, and I think what people forget, people are quite good at trying not to add it to the table these mm. days. But I think it's something like two thirds of our salt is already in the food. Well, and we're buying more food on the go. That's right. I don't think people realise yeah. actually that everything you buy to be more palatable probably have a bit of extra salt or to preserve it. Or to preserve it, exactly. I mean, a main source for us in this country, which we often don't realise, is bread. And actually, the better the quality of the bread, the reason why it tastes so good oftentimes is it's laden with salt. Mm. So if you're trying to get your salt down, just look at the labels on your bread because it's surprising how much is in there. I know. And Mm. and the Mediterranean diet on a whole, we've we've mentioned obviously um, lots of plant-based foods. Mm. Now, could we discuss fibre a little bit as well Mm. and how or why rather that's so important? Yeah, I mean, fibre, it's important for gut health. It's also quite important... Um, for getting your LDL cholesterol down. So there's quite a lot known about soluble fibre. So, for example, if you go to your GP and you have a Q-risk score, which is the way we assess cardiovascular risk in this country, if you have a high Q-risk score, particularly if you're high LDL cholesterol, Mm. a suggestion always is to increase your soluble fibre intake. I mean, if you're lucky to have a GP who will go away and send you away Mm. and say, try and get it down by behavioural change in the first instance, rather than statins and and, and oftentimes we can you know I I think there's a lot of people on statins in this country who don't need to be on it Oh gosh I'm a big believer that dietary changes can help there and you've mentioned soluble fibre could you give some examples of Yeah I mean oats is the best source Oh my favourite Yeah (laughs) oats so anything any oat rich food is is a good source of soluble fibre Excellent and, and, you know, I mean, we're not quite sure of the mechanisms, but it seems to be around altering your gut microflora, perhaps, and, mm. and some element of perhaps reducing cholesterol absorption from the gut. Yeah. But actually, soluble fibre is a very good way of getting your LDL cholesterol down if that's something you suffer from. Well, I think a lot of the UK, so we had a um, podcast specifically on um, cardiovascular disease. Mm. And we were talking about the fact that the diet in the UK, there's just some, something has to be done because right. it could prevent or reduce risk of so many cardiovascular-related illnesses. That's right, exactly. And you've mentioned um, plant sterols and stanols, and they can reduce the LDL cholesterol, and that's to do with the gut as well, isn't it? Oh, that's right. It's interesting. I'm on those myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because, so I've just started to use Benicol, and, and mm. in, in, in our house, actually, we've started, we, we, we've, we've gone with a pragmatic approach because actually I, I, I do like my butter as well. Yeah, so oh, me too, a little yeah, bit on my bread. Right. <laughs> so so we tend to use Benicol Monday mm. to Friday okay. and we tend to use butter Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Okay. So Benicol or Flora Proactive are, are, are spreads yeah. commercially available which contains sterol or phytosterols in there. And how they work actually is they compete for cholesterol absorption in the gut. Ah. So they prevent 
cholesterol absorption from the intestine into the mm. bloodstream. And actually, they've been approved by EFSA. You know, they're, they're, they're very much an approved ingredient for mm. cholesterol lowering. And they can, you know, at a population level, reduce LDL cholesterol by about 15%. So, oh, yeah. gosh, it's worth a little switch then for some, perhaps. Uh, absolutely. Mm. So, I mean, it's not to encourage people to suddenly put loads of spread on your bread if you don't. Portion but sizes, everyone. It still matters. Portion size very much matter. I, I've just come back from the States last oh. week. I was at the American Society of Nutrition Conference wow. in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, you do notice, you know, our portion sizes are big here, but they are still ginormous in many parts of the States, which is a problem. It, it is. And I think a lot of our eating habits in the UK perhaps have stemmed from overseas as well. That's right. I think. Yeah. But um, that we also see a lot of sensationalist headlines that hail, like I mentioned earlier, and I'm quite embarrassed I mentioned mm. it now, red wine to be a good thing for our hearts. Yeah. Why do these headlines crop up and is it true? Yeah, I mean, the red wine story is a very interesting one. It, it kind of dates back from the French paradox, which was first introduced in 1992 mm. as a concept. And the mm. fact that the French, despite the fact they love their cheese and dairy um, and back then were big smokers, tended to have a lower risk of, of heart disease than mm. other countries in Europe. And it was put down at the time to the fact that they had a high red wine consumption. Yeah. Now, the epidemiological studies, the prospective epidemiologies, which, which, where you take healthy people and follow them up for a period and look at associations between behaviour and disease, that is actually still very supportive of the red wine story. Ah. Um, the problem with red wine is normally what you do then is you look at associations and you do intervention trials. Of course, it's very difficult and often considered unethical to suddenly start putting people on red wine for long periods of well, time. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Alcohol and all that. <laughs> exactly. So there aren't too many intervention trials, but mm. I have to say the prospective epidemiology is supportive and and but but there is a big caveat that that you know, the amount you drink is everything. You know, mm. it is very much a U shaped curve. So if you drink one or two reasonable sized drinks a day it's it's it, the, the evidence shows that red wine is beneficial mm. for cardiovascular health once you start going above that yeah. you have major effects on your blood pressure so you quite quickly begin to lose the benefits so it's almost i so said these headlines this is when it gets very confusing yeah. for the public i yeah. think and also surely the quality of the wine matters just as much Absolutely. as the quantity it does yeah and um, and i think just coming back to the quantity actually mm. you know we tend to think of drinks as great big massive vats of wine in this country because the wine you get in, in, in out in bars these days can be like 250, 300 mils. They've changed, haven't they? The 125 mil doesn't seem to be there anymore. anymore. So actually the WHO say that one drink is 10 grams of alcohol, which is actually, you know, it's much less even than a small glass of red wine. Yes. So you're talking about, when you're talking about cardiovascular benefits, mm. you're talking about one glass of red wine yeah. a day, really. Yeah. That, that's the amount we should be drinking and no more. Okay, so I think that's probably going to have been a very helpful question for our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> a lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, what about um, another, another disease, mm. unfortunately, in the country that, um, well, there's obviously a difference between type 1 and type 2, but diabetes. Mm. Can the Mediterranean diet have an impact there? I think it can. Um, you know, again, when you think of the, I mean, m- most diabetics or a lot of diabetics, actually what gets them, you know, from a health perspective is cardiovascular disease. Mm. So having diabetes really ups your risk of cardiovascular disease. And are we talking about type 2 diabetes? Type 2 diabetes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I mean, actually, with respect to diet and type 1 diabetes, mm. and I, I know this very well because my lovely nephew, Matthew, uh, oh. has type 1 diabetes. Yeah. And actually, I've, I've looked a lot at research and nutrition and type 1 diabetes, and it's very under-investigated. So. It is, isn't it? My best friend also, Tanya, yeah. she developed it when she was in her mid-20s. It was yeah. very, and it was, it was so alarming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so with respect to type 2 diabetes, I mean, again, all the cardiovascular benefits are probably even more so in diabetics than mm. they are in people without diabetic, diabetes. Yeah. When it comes to glucose control, um, I mean, the quality of the carbohydrate is everything when it mm. comes to having type 2 diabetes. And when you look at a Mediterranean diet, it tends to be low in refined carbohydrates and high in fiber and complex carbohydrates. Mm. And of course, that's very much the right blend of carbohydrates for diabetes. It's not what people think. It's not all carbonaras. (laughs) No, that's right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, which I think is a very big misconception. Um, Look, you did a talk earlier this year, the one that I mentioned at the beginning, and it touched on an area that I'm hugely interested in, which Mm. is dementia. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating, the link between fats and dementia. Could you divulge on this a little yeah. bit more? I mean, the first thing to say about dementia, which I always mention when I when I first talk about it, is because there's such a research focus and a media focus at the moment, mm. we would all be forgiven for thinking that we're all going to develop it. But actually, the facts are that of the people over 65, only 7% of the population have dementia. That's a good statistic. Yeah. So I think that's a good mm. starting point. But but I guess from, from my perspective and, and, and from your perspective Rhiannon, the, the, the question is how do we ensure we're in that 93% rather exactly. than in that 7% mm. um, and actually it seems to be that the saturated fat content of our diet and the DHA content of our diet, the omega 3 content are particular fats we need to be concerned about mm. with respect to dementia risk. Yes. Um, so for people listening, really, like we said at the beginning, please try and get your oily fish or your DHA. In in early. Yeah. In early. Um, so the prospective epidemiology, which is the observational studies, have shown that if you consume about 0.2 grams or 200 milligrams of Mm. EPA DHA per day that that will be associated with improved cognitive health later in yeah. life. Because it's not just about memory loss, is it? That it's improved concentration, different yeah. moods, behaviours. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I just have, have a list here in front of me, actually, mm. of, of the kind of things. So when we talk about cognition, very much the things you say, so memory attention, problem solving, decision making. Mm. You know, we often suffer from an inability to make a decision at times in our life. But as you get older, that becomes hugely problematic. You know, 
the ability to 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 take in all the information and then to spit out a decision really goes down as you get yeah. older. Planning, inhibition, judgment, reasoning, language, verbal fluency course, goes down. simple words that you think yeah. you have, yeah. And, and the last one, of course, which is usually problematic, which is, again, something that is very much highlighted in the media, is, is orientation and, and people getting lost. Our ability mm. to navigate mm. really declines uh, uh, as we get older. And with, um, so Alzheimer's, of course, is the most common form, I think, of That's dementia. Right. I've got a stat here that says it contributes to 60 to 70% of those cases. That's right. So is that within that smaller 7% bracket? That's right. So in right. that seven, so it's 7% of dementia, and dementia is actually an umbrella term, and there are 100, 100 or so forms of dementia. And as you wow. mentioned, Alzheimer's mm. disease is the main form. Then there's vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia. But Alzheimer's, about two-thirds of dementia patients have oh. the Alzheimer's form yeah. of dementia. So it goes to show everyone diet really does play a role with lots of different things. It does. And of course, with aging as well, in yeah. general, I think there's a lot to be said for healthy fats and perhaps your skin. Is that is that correct? I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's an interesting thing. I mean, life expectancy is going up two to three years every decade, mm. which I think, you know, as a society, we really should congratulate ourselves for. Yes. Um, the problem that healthy life expectancy isn't going up at the same rate. So we're living. Mm for longer but we're also sick for that bit longer right uh, so healthy life expectancy is going so for every four years increase in life expectancy there's only an increase of three years in healthy life expectancy so mm. that means we're creating one year of ill health for every four years so Gosh. you know as individuals I think we really need to take care of ourselves because you know there's no point in living till a ripe old age if we feel unwell for the last 20 years mm. and and you know as individuals it's it's our it's our responsibility to be honest yeah that's yeah. really refreshing to hear yeah. because there's a big strain obviously on our nhs yeah. um i think health is a big 360 degree picture isn't it that's it encompasses right. sleep it encompasses activity absolutely so it's yeah. not just going to be having like we said earlier just one glass of red wine a week it really is the whole picture i, I think that's right and i think especially if you want to change your health trajectory in the short term mm. you know i think exposure to maybe omega-3s or vitamin d or can all individually make a difference over a lifetime but if you want to change your health profile over the course of a year, I think just one doing one thing in isolation isn't probably going to be enough. No. It needs to be a composite approach. I agree. And I, I read recently as well, there's lots of links between depression. I think a lot of people are talking in the media about mental health now, which, is, right. which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's very prominent. And I think it's something perhaps we've neglected for a long time. But does the Mediterranean style diet or the healthy fats play a role with depression? Again, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, the evidence is probably not as developed as it is for cardiovascular mm. and cognition, but the evidence that is there is, is very encouraging. It tends right. to be more observational. The, yeah. the trials haven't been conducted yet. Okay. Um, and particularly in this country, I mean, we've just embarked on the first trial called the MEDEX trial in this country, which is looking at Mediterranean diet and cognition and dementia. But there isn't any such trials for depression in this country, as far as I know, yet. Right. Okay. So I, I watch think this space. watch this space, absolutely. Yeah. But the observational evidence is very encouraging. Yeah, because looking at the diet on a whole, if we're looking at a Mediterranean lifestyle, mm. 
there's more aspects than just food, isn't it? Isn't it about take, how long people take to even eat their food? Absolutely. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's areas in the world called blue zones, which some some of your listeners may have heard of. Which mm. there's five areas in the world where there's much increased longevity and a much reduced incidence of chronic disease. Um, one of them is Icaria in Greece, where myself and my family are going on holiday next oh, week. Oh, lovely! Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but as you say, the the, the longevity and, and the lower risk of chronic disease if you look at what people do it tends to be a lot more sleep a lot less interest in in you know time as a concept uh, better food physical activity but as part of normal living rather than organized physical activity mm, rather than just going to a gym it's every day just wandering Up and around, around. Yeah. And, and the other th- interesting thing is sleep as I said but mm. also a sense of community a mm. lot more socialization where yeah. people d- people do things in groups eat in groups socialize in groups there's a lot to be said for that, I think, mental health and socialising. I think so, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we're just beginning to recognise the negative impact of um, forced isolation on somebody. Of you course, know. and the image of health, because I'm sure body shape and size varies there and there isn't a pressure perhaps in these blue zones to yeah. be one aesthetic shape. Absolutely, yeah, mm. absolutely. Which is another interesting angle. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how much research has been done on. but yeah. yeah, but yeah, I think there's a lot to learn from these areas of the world where they seem to have cracked it just naturally, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and what is it that, that defines those? And it seems, as you mentioned, to be a whole composite. Yeah. Rather than one dietary component or the fact that people exercise more, it tends to be a whole set of behaviours together. Exactly. Gosh, well, I'm so motivated right now. <laughs> I'm thinking of all my clients in my clinic and it's just reinforcing everything I'm trying to say. Um, but we have lots of questions from followers on here for mm, you, Amory. Yeah, sure. Um, so Lorma mm. has said, uh, will I definitely not put on any weight if I start eating more fats? Well, there's uh, if, you eat calo- if you eat the same amount of calories... 2,000 calories, for example, mm. and you eat that as 100% fat, which is very difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they're absolutely not. So there's okay. fat per se it will not make you put on weight. Yeah. Actually, quite interestingly, refined carbohydrate are tend to be associated with, with more weight gain mm, than, than fat, fat on, on a calorie-for-calorie calorie basis. There you go. So quite the opposite, actually. And when we say refined carbs, we mean things like your pastries, um, perhaps too mm. much white pasta, maybe? That's right. Yeah. So white foods, so your mm. white pasta, your white rice, your potato biscuits. crisps, your biscuits, <laughs> anything sugary. Mm, anything really tasty there. <laughs> so all moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, James has said, I have always added salt on my food, but it's best to cut down. Mm. What can I do to add flavour? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many fantastic herbs and spices out there, you know, and I, I think just... Just, just have a play around in the kitchen, really, and see what suits your palate. My, uh, I love smoked paprika, my new favourite flavour. Absolutely. Or mm. ginger. I mean, oh, I, I, I love, love ginger. ginger. Just a little bit of chopped yeah. ginger in foods, if if, if that suits you. Mm. So, Good tips there. Yeah. yeah. Yep, herbs and spices. And Neil has asked, do white carbs have the same health benefits as brown carbs? Yeah. I mean, white carbs, as we just mentioned, tends to be the, the, the starches. And, and actually, the reason why they're bad for you is because they're really, really easily digested and they mm. create that kind of glucose peak in your blood, mm. much like you would if you ate a sh- or you drank a sugary drink mm. or, or you, you ate some sweets. 
Uh, brown carbs tend to be the more brown rice, brown pasta, yes, whole grains. Yeah. They can contain exactly the same amount of carbohydrate, but it's digested much more slowly. So you get, get a much more gradual increase and in decline mm. in sugar in your blood, which metabolically is a much better profile. I mean, this is the thing, and I know this is a little bit of a debated question because mm. we're not saying foods are intrinsically good or bad, mm. but we are saying we'd prefer most of the population to get more fibre and to eat more of the brown carbohydrates and reduce the amount of the refined. I mean, when I was at the the conference in the US last week, there's a a nutritionist which I rate highly called Darius Mastafarian, who's in Tufts. And he he has a very good tip. And he Mm. said, if you look at the label on a package and look at the the ratio of carbohydrate to fiber, Mm. and if that's uh, less than 10, then that's a good thing. Okay. So if you have... 10 grams of carbohydrate, you should have at least one gram of fiber or more. Yeah. So if you have 10 grams of carbohydrate or two or three grams of fiber, that's excellent. But what you shouldn't have is 20 grams of carbohydrate to one gram of fiber. So this total carbohydrate to fiber ratio, I think, is a really good tip. Yeah, definitely. That's great for our listeners. That's a really good one. Um, We've got here from Karen. Is it harmful to eat oily fish any more than twice a week? Um, No. Um, so, yeah, the recommendation is to eat two portions of fish a week, one of which should be oily. I mean, the only caveat is if you're pregnant or planning a pregnancy, the suggestion is you keep it at that mm. because there's a slight concern, very slight concern about heavy metals in pregnancy. Mm. I mean, for the rest of the population, you know, there, there's no doubt at all that there's no concern. But the only the only group who should probably restrict mm. it to the two a week is, in, is, pregnancy. is, is in pregnancy. And there's also, I think, isn't it something to do with vitamin A? toxicity in pregnancy that's right if people it, are taking cod liver oil as well as eating oily fish and th- that that's right yeah and i think it's especially the the very big oily fish like tuna and marlin and things yes. like that because they have the capacity to accumulate heavy metals yeah but for the rest of us if you eat it you know once a day absolutely yeah. no problems perfect well that moves me on to my favorite part of our podcast mm-hmm. and that is our fact or fiction round Okay, so you have not been privy to these questions. Oh, dear. Uh, (laughs) So you just have to answer fact or fiction to the following. Sure. What happens if I get them wrong? You you won't get them wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I know you won't get those wrong. Okay, are you ready? I am. (laughs) White carbs are unhealthy. Fact. Not all fish are oily fish. Fact. The Mediterranean diet helps us live longer. Fact. Fats are essential for healthy living. Fact. A lot of facts here. Cooking with olive oil is healthier than any other. Debatable. Ooh, just quickly, why is that debatable? Well, I think there are other healthy fats as well. Mm -hmm. And it depends on the quality of your olive oil. So if it's extra virgin olive oil, certainly. If it's a very poor quality olive oil, probably something like rapeseed oil is just as good. So I read, um, so I'm totally interrupting the quick fire round to our listeners, but the, the best olive oil is one where the olives come from the same region. Yeah. I don't know if that's correct or not. Well, I think, I don't know so much about that, but the extra virgin olive oil is the first press of the olive, so it okay. contains a lot of the, the sort of the, 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 the small bioactives. Okay, yeah. brilliant. Fats make us fat. False. <laughs> that's good, that's good. Raw vegetables have more nutrition than cooked. Depends on how they're cooked. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um, the Mediterranean diet can help with the weight loss. 
unknown, I think, currently. Ah, yeah. Okay. We had one guest that, um, instead of saying fact or fiction, said faction. He was like, <laughs> I know. He was like, oh, I'm just going to make that up. Brilliant answer. Um, a vegan Mediterranean diet is just as effective. I, again, I would imagine, again, it's not really been tested, but um, yeah, intuitively, yes, absolutely. Right. Eating fish every day could lead to mercury poisoning. Fiction. Brilliant. Well done. <laughs> that was the end of our fact or fiction round. I think you did. Well, they were actually not as straightforward as I remember writing those. <laughs> Good really questions, though. There we go. <laughs> and, and that nearly wraps up our episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. Yeah. So mine today would be that most of us would benefit from increasing the amount of plant-based components to our diets, such as eating more fruit and vegetables, getting in more fibre, and reducing the amount of saturated fats like we've discussed today in the podcast and salt that we eat. Now, this is what makes the Mediterranean diet such an attractive way of eating and one that we can hopefully all take inspiration from. I mean, I know from discussing the olive oil with bread situation. Mm, Yeah. I would rather have that more frequently. Um, It's also important to remember that following a Mediterranean-style diet should not always be seen as a strict regime, so it's only beneficial if it's also enjoyable. We've discussed today the social aspects of eating, and I would encourage anyone thinking about following a Mediterranean-style diet to think about what components you can add to your diet as opposed to taking them out. It Mm. seems to be a bit more of a a positive mindset Mm. to embark upon. So as with any way of eating, finding something that works for you and makes you feel happy and healthy is the most important thing to do. Mm. So if I could ask you, Anne-Marie, to share one final food for thought with our listeners, it could be anything that you think would benefit them, what would that be? I think just to make sure when you look at your plate that there's plant food on there. Mm. So fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts or whole grains. I think, you know, that is the thing that as individuals and as populations, we would really benefit from. The other thing I think is we really only need to re- eat red meat about once a week. Mm. From the point of view of health, and which we haven't really touched on today, which is a whole different issue from mm. the point of view of sustainability of the planet. Well, yes, actually, um, interestingly, we do have an episode on climate change coming up. Fantastic. For listeners, um, Fantastic. which was extremely insightful. He actually worked with David Attenborough on the documentaries. Fantastic. And I want to ask you quickly before we conclude the episode what's your view on a movement that I'm asked a lot about called the carnivore diet yeah it's it very worries me these things hit the headlines but there's a a big movement where people only eating meat gosh okay I I mean, from a health perspective, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of lean red meat. It's a very good source of iron, very good source of protein. Mm. I mean, from the point of view of sustainability, 15% of our carbon footprint as as omnivores comes from animal products. Totally unsustainable. So I think from an environmental or from a planet sustainability perspective, we need to be eating less red meat rather than more. And, yeah. and 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 the evidence is that will be beneficial, not detrimental to our health. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And we need to up the fibre. Well, Amory, thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Food for Thought. It really is amazing to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you will absolutely love what's coming next week. So please make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. 
and please if you have time do leave a five-star review it really does help to get our podcast out there to reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully help more and more people for more information about my nutrition clinic books healthy recipes events retreats and so much more please visit retrition.com and follow me at retrition on instagram twitter facebook and youtube